So we are in a sermon series looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's most famous teaching on what our lives should look like. And this is the time of year where we make resolutions. And so as Christians, we want to know what pleases God and resolve to live accordingly. Um, So it makes sense to look at what Jesus says our lives should look like. Now, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contrasts two ways of living. There's gospel religion based on grace, and there's religion based on works. And the major differences are not behavior. Though there are definitely some differences, but the major difference is the heart. So as we seek to know what pleases God, our focus has to be on our hearts. And, uh, you know, that's actually harder than our behavior. So today's passage is about wisdom and discernment. And if discernment's not a word that you use a lot, um, I can confirm. uh, Google said in the last 200 years, it's just, you know, know, if you look it up, define. Anyways, you can do it later. Um, So discernment means perception that aids in spiritual guidance. So that's what we need. We need perception. We need to be able to perceive to guide us. So as we look at this passage, we're going to consider three things. Our need for wisdom, why we don't have it, and how we can get it. So, need for wisdom, why we don't have it, and how we can get it. So, let's pray as we we enter. God, we thank you that you give us your word um, to guide us in wisdom. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us discernment um, to understand um, what you have to say for us, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first, we need wisdom. Um, So specifically, we need wisdom for discernment. And, you know, if we look at this passage, we see at least four specifics. So, for example, we need to discern our own flaws, right? We need to remove logs in our eyes. We need to discern when other people are dangerous, right? So whether or not they're pigs or dogs or false prophets. Uh, We need to discern if we're on the right path or on path to destruction, Uh, And fourth, we need to discern the fruit of our leaders and and not follow people with toxic, diseased character. And so that's all pretty straightforward and not controversial, right? How many of you disagreed with anything I just said, right? Nobody walked in and said, you know what? It's a lot better if you don't know your flaws, if you're on a path to destruction, like let the pigs trample you and who cares what kind of leader you follow, right? Nobody walked in that way. Um, So... If you ever read Jesus' teaching and you think, well, this is just completely straightforward and obvious, it's possible you may have missed his point. Um, Now, fortunately for us, Jesus is a masterful teacher. Um, So we don't need to miss his point. So he doesn't merely say, be wise and discerning, and then leave it to us to sort of figure out what that means. Um, He shows us what he means. So, you know how a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Um, Somebody's thinking, can you just show a picture and get down? Um, So, Jesus is a master of using imaginative, concrete illustrations. Okay, so he doesn't abstractly say, do this, don't do that. Um, He's not an economics professor, right? He, He doesn't... So, for example, last week... Tyler told us to communicate, don't be anxious. Jesus doesn't just say, don't be anxious, right? But he paints a picture. He says, think about 
the birds. He describes the bird. He describes the grass. And then he asks us to think about, does God care about them more than you? Right? That's the picture he gives us to say, don't be anxious. Jesus gives us rich pictures, um, but we also have to think about them. So Jesus' teaching is it's a lot more like hard candy than cotton candy. Right? Cotton candy, you put it in your mouth, it's gone. So to really understand Jesus' teaching, we often have to savor it to get to the sweetest part. Maybe that first taste is a little sour even. Um, but, I mean, we could stop at the cotton candy, right? So I could just give examples of how we act hypocritically. Um, that would be important. Um, and right there are two kinds of people, those who admit to being hypocrites and hypocrites. Um, but, you know, I'll say you can just ask your family members for examples of how you act hypocritically, and they will give you personalized examples for you. Um, I could list the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Galatians 5, 22, 23, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., self-control. And I could tell you, look for this in a leader. And that would be important because many leaders don't exhibit those characteristics. Um, fortunately, we have some great leaders in this church. Um, in case you were thinking I was making a point, I was not. Um, so I could do all of those things. They would be important. But if I just did that, we would miss Jesus' deeper point because we need to discern the problem that needs fixing, right? We need to know, well, what keeps us from being discerning? It's not just information. What's really the problem and what's the solution? So let's savor Jesus' teaching here. Let's unpack the pictures he gave us. All right, so first, Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged. Now, that doesn't mean never make a value judgment, because in verse 6, Jesus says something about some people are dogs and some people are pigs, um, right? Which sounds pretty judgy to me. Um, and in verse 15, he says some people are false prophets, and he calls on us to figure out who they are, make a judgment call. So it's not never make a judgment call. So what does it mean? Well, remember, a picture is worth a thousand words, so Jesus gives us a concrete picture to explain what don't judge means. Right? So if we want to understand what he's saying, we look at the picture. So here's the picture. There's someone with a, a plank of wood or a log in their eye um, telling his brother, hey, you have a speck of sawdust. Let me help you there. Right? So, and it's meant to be funny. So you can laugh. Um, somebody with a log in their eye offering to help somebody with a speck of dust looks like a fool. Uh, and so that's the picture. There's somebody with a speck who needs it out, and there's somebody with a log. And the person with a log, you know, he could do two things. He could first take out his own log, or he could first point out the other person's speck. That's the picture. Okay, so, you know, let, let me step back, because I think the typical person today hears, don't judge, and they would say, you should never judge others. That's right. Nobody has the right to decide what is right for somebody else. You know, you can't judge. You just can't know, right? And so a lot of people, they look at Christians and they say, you know, Christians are so busy judging when they should just be quiet. I mean, look, Jesus just said, right? Now, they may be right, but, you know, even though the typical person will say nobody should judge, our society is extremely quick 
to denounce others, right? to judge others when they say something offensive or espouse a belief that they disagree with. Right? We tweet up a storm how terrible somebody is. We cancel people. Um, we say this person doesn't have a right to speak. Uh, as a society, we're pretty judgy. Um, our society says don't judge, but we judge with lightning speed and severity. Right? We judge people for being judgmental. Right? We have logs in our own eyes. Um, and so if you think that how people treat each other has become toxic and brutal, and it has, well, Jesus has something to say to us. Now, Jesus is not saying never point out a flaw in somebody else, right? Because he says, take out the log so that you can remove the speck. Right? Because objectively, people have problems. Right? If a person has a speck, they need it out. Right? When we've got something in our eye, we don't just ignore it. So we don't pretend it's not there. But we should help somebody with their problem only after we deal with our own problem. Right? We should help others only after we deal with ourselves. Right? That's what the picture is telling us. The problem is judging without first judging ourselves. Now, the word for judge, it's a legal word, and it means condemn. So we could translate this verse, don't condemn lest you be condemned. And if you go to the Sermon on Mount version in Luke's gospel, that's exactly there. Don't condemn lest you be condemned. So consider, right? Look at the picture. What are you doing when you notice a speck in somebody else's eye without noticing your own? And Jesus is ding, 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 giving us that word condemn. He's saying, don't you dare condemn somebody when you're in the same boat. Don't condemn others for something when you deserve that same condemnation. Now, that might seem obvious, but this is about more than just being hypocritical. All right? I mean, so Jesus says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, first, we know, we all know, that we don't live up to our own standards. Right? None of us meets our own standards. Right? If you think you live up to your own standards, newsflash, you have a log in your eye. So, like, my, my wife points out to me times where I'll tell my kids, you know, don't do this, don't act this way. And then, like, immediately I will do exactly what I told them not to do. Like, I'll tell them, don't make potty jokes. Or I'll say, don't ignore your mother when she's talking to you. Or the other day, I told Joshua not to put his foot on his sister. And the way I got his attention was by pinning him down with my foot. <laughs> and parenting is funny. But, but seriously, we often make excuses for ourselves uh, when we don't live up to our own standards. But we rarely extend that same grace to others. Right. So, you know, for example, when other people lie, it's because they're liars. Right. Um, but when I lie, I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> right. I didn't lie so much. I creatively stretch the truth. And, you know, um, and we hate when others gossip. But when we share information about somebody else and maybe it makes them look bad. You know, I mean, I just need to get this off my chest or, you know, I wanted to share so that you can pray for this person. Right. Or people should understand my side of the story. Just, you know, just 
full information, or I want to help them. The more people who know, the better. Um, maybe it makes them look bad, but it's complicated, right? It's, you know, but if somebody's gossiping about me, we know that we don't live up to our own standards, right? And so we know we have no right to condemn others. But it's not just that. Condemnation like this proves that we don't get God's grace. Like we don't get it. So there are several places in the Bible where it says, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And that can sound confusing if we think we're forgiven because of what Jesus did. Or he says, judgment will be without mercy to those without mercy. So why would God say this? Okay, well, in Matthew 18, Jesus told a story of an unforgiving servant. So again, a story, a picture to make his point. So this servant racked up a debt that was like a thousand years wages, um, but his debt was forgiven. Um, But then he meets somebody on the street who owes him like a few bucks, and he says violently, pay me now. He's just been forgiven a fortune, but he can't forgive petty change. Somebody who lacks mercy toward others reveals that they haven't truly received it themselves. Somebody who lacks forgiveness toward others reveals that they haven't truly received forgiveness themselves. They don't realize how much of a debt they were in and what it cost Jesus to forgive us. So we condemn others only if we forget that in Christ there is no condemnation. So Jesus is saying, if you condemn somebody else using a standard that would lead to your own condemnation, then fine, have it your way. You're just proving that's what you deserve. You're condemning yourself by doing that. Okay, so now that I've told you not to do these things, we'll keep acting like this. Right? We know we will. um, Because here's our real problem. We don't even know we're doing this. Right? So, look. The person with the log in his eye does not even notice the log in his eye, right? That's what Jesus said, right? So it's one problem to have a log, to know it's there, and to still offer to help somebody else, right? It's silly. It's pretty dumb. But it's a much bigger problem to not even notice, right? So how could you possibly... Not notice a log in your eye, which, like, you can think about the picture, right? You've got a log in your eye. It's hard to not see it. And still, somehow, you can notice the speck in somebody else's eye. Like, how is that possible? Right? What kind of person would see somebody else's speck and not see their own problem? So, what's our deep problem? Right? Well, this is the answer Jesus gives us with the other pictures. We're diseased. And the obvious solution only leads to destruction. Okay? So, at the end of our passage, Jesus says there are two types of trees. And you'll recognize them by their fruit. Okay? There are healthy trees and there are diseased trees. Right? Healthy trees produce good fruit. Diseased trees produce bad fruit. Now, Jesus' main point is this. The Pharisees are diseased trees. Now, if you don't know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of or one of the religious leaders of Jesus' time, and they were the experts in following the law. And in a lot of ways, the Pharisees led extremely admirable lives. 
Like if you come to church, you hear Pharisees and you're like, oh, they're there, the bad guys. But they were the group. They were incredibly devout. They were careful to tithe and give to the poor. So they were more generous than everybody else. They said their prayers. They read their Bibles. You could look at a lot of their behaviors and think, these are upstanding people. And compared to, say, the Sadducees who didn't believe in anything, the Pharisees really, like, they looked like they were the ones. They were the renewal movement. Um, But Jesus says, no, no, no. Look at the fruit of their lives. Not the behavior, not even how well they know their Bibles. He said, are their lives characterized by love, mercy, tenderness, patience? He said, the Pharisees who justify themselves, they are disease trees. Okay? Now, Jesus is talking about false prophets specifically, but he sa- what he says applies to everybody. Right? So notice... Jesus doesn't contrast false prophets with anybody else, right? He says, you'll notice false prophets. Um, But then he just talks about good and bad trees. Um, This is everybody's problem, right? The message of the whole Bible is that all of humanity, not just the Pharisees, all of humanity, apart from Christ, we are diseased trees bearing bad fruit. So, Ephesians 2. Before Christ, you were dead right not even diseased spiritually dead so maybe you'd make good fertilizer uh, but you don't make a living tree bearing living fruit right romans 3 says no one is righteous no not one Um, or jeremiah 17 brian read that to us a few weeks ago it talks about you know man of god like a tree um, with roots and bearing good fruit but then it says of all of us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And then Jeremiah says, the Lord gives to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, here's what's scary. We look at the fruit to recognize what kind of tree the false prophet is, what kind of tree we are. What do you do if you're honest with yourself and you recognize you are a diseased tree? What do you do? If you look at the fruit and you decide, I'm diseased, then what are you going to do about it? Because if you staple apples to your Christmas tree, it won't start bearing apples. If your problem is disease, what do you do? So here's where the image of the gates and the path comes in. Okay? And let me first give you an example. If you feel like physically weak... There are two possibilities. One is you're out of shape, you need to go exercise. Or you have a chronic illness and you need treatment. Or you have three kids who are just beating you down. In any case, you know, one of these possibilities is much scarier and harder to deal with. And the wide and easy way is I'm going to work harder. My problem is I'm just out of shape, okay? I'm going to get my act together, right? We might say resolved. I'm going to bear good fruit. Um, So if you think your problem is disobedience, right? Then you resolve to obey and be moral, right? Or if you think your problem is you aren't living a fulfilling life, then you resolve to pursue your truth, express yourself, free yourself from what other people think. 
And ironically, that way is easy because you've taken control. You've got something to do. It feels good when you make progress. Right? How many of you started exercising a few weeks ago? It might have felt good for a, few, for a little bit. Right? But you know, either way, you have something to do. And that's the easy way because you think you are in control. Right? And you've ignored your real problem. You're diseased. And this is the easy way because it doesn't require us admitting I'm diseased. The hard way, and this is a much harder way, much, much harder, is to admit I'm diseased to the core. A diseased tree doesn't just like have some mold on the bark you just need to scrape off. Okay? The roots, the trunk, everything. The disease that's affecting the fruit. This is not a surface level problem. You know, you walk around town and often I'll see like a tree that they cut down that I thought was just, it was fine. And I'll ask, like, why did they cut, did they just want more space? And somebody will point out, no, 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 that tree was diseased. It looked fine on the outside, but it was just a matter of time. It's going to hollow out, the wind's going to blow it over, and destruction. Jesus says that the way of the narrow gate is suffocating. Now, that, that narrow word, right, that doesn't quite get across what Jesus is saying. Um, it doesn't get across the oppressive, weighty challenge of going through that gate. Because um, that word means like to compress, to press upon, right? It, it's also associated with to persecute. So the narrow gate is oppressively afflicting. It's a way that feels like a death. And Jesus is saying the way of the gospel is admitting I have a very big problem in myself, and there is nothing I can do about it. The way of the gospel is I can't bear my own good fruit. That's the only way to life, Jesus says. People who justify themselves, who think they can save themselves, they're diseased trees. They've got a log in their eye. They don't even know it. Right? So remember, Jeremiah 17, the heart is sick. He goes on to say, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Now, if you're surprised that this is what the wide and narrow gates are, uh, let me explain a little more. A lot of people think that there are two ways to live. You can follow all the rules, or you can break all the rules. Right? You can live according to your own standards. So, right, there's good people, and there's bad people. Um, good people on the narrow path follow the rules, Bad people on the wrong path break them, right? Um, and so we think, like, maybe if you choose this path, cause you say, like, well, who cares about being good? I'm going to have fun, right? So that, that, and that's certainly what the Pharisees thought, right? Um, and today, that's how a lot of people think, right? Follow the rules, break the rules, those are your options. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus cons- consistently contrasts two groups. But they aren't the two groups I just described, okay? There's... Traditional moralism, right? That's the Pharisees, right? Those are the people who keep the law, but their hearts are full of greed. He says they keep the rules, but they aren't loving. They pray to be heard by people. They give to be seen. And then there's this other way. But it's not this other way. Jesus doesn't say, and then there are people who break all the rules, set their own standards, don't care about the poor. That's not the other group. The Pharisees think there are two options. Break the rules, keep keep the rules. And they say, hey, we're keeping them, so we're good. 
Now, breaking the rules, living however you want, that's wrong. But Jesus' point is that doesn't mean that keeping all the rules makes you right. If you pay attention to the whole Bible, you'll see that really there are three ways to live. You can keep all the rules, you can break all the rules, or God can save you. Right? You can keep all the rules, you can break all the rules, or God can save you. And really the first two are the same as far as the Bible is concerned. Because those first people are, are saved because they're good enough, they meet somebody else's standard. Right? We could call that traditional moralism. Um, but if you're the second people... Right? You're saved because you set yourself free from having to meet anybody else's standards. Uh, and we could associate that with like modern liberty. Um, so you can be saved because you keep all the rules and meet the standard. Or you can be saved because you freed yourself um, from rule keeping and you live to yourself. But either way, who's in charge? You are. So if you think you're saved because you keep all the rules, you've earned your salvation. Right? God owes you a ticket to heaven over here, you think. Right? You did your job. And if you think you're saved, you don't use that language, but you know we're in church, so I'm going to use it. If you think you're saved because you've expressed yourself, found yourself, defined yourself, created your own meaning and truth, and lived it, well, you've done it. You've saved yourself. Right? You created your truth and lived it. Nobody liberated you. And the Bible says those two ways are fundamentally the same, right? Whether you think you're saving yourselves by following all the rules or you think you save yourself by making your own rules, you are your own savior. You've earned it. Those two ways are really the same. And that's why the right name for the parable of the prodigal son is the parable of the lost sons. They're both lost. The younger brother says, I'm going to forge my own path. He's obviously lost. The elder brother, he keeps all the rules and his heart is far from God. They're both lost. So, the two roads. The wide gate that leads to destruction is salvation you earn. However you define that. Right? Whether it's by keeping the rules or breaking the rules and making them my own. Right? The, the wide gate is I save myself. And do you know why that gate is so wide? Because the default mode of the human heart is to justify yourself. The default mode of the human heart is self-justification. So if you're, if you're moralistic, it's look at what I've done. Or you might think, I've got to do this. Right? I've got to get my life in order. I've got to get cleaned up before I can come to God. Or if you're, if you're liberated, right? it's I'm free because I express myself. I don't let anybody tell me what to do. Or you might think, well, I'll be free once I do. Right? Whether you've done it already or you think you know what you need to do next, you do it. And that's the easy way, and it leads to destruction. And the narrow gate is the gospel. Right? The narrow gate is salvation by grace. The narrow gate is complete, utter, total dependence on Jesus to save you. Right? I'm saved by what Jesus has done, and I could never be good enough. I am more wicked, evil, broken, messed up than I could ever imagine. But Jesus' work for me is enough, and I'm more loved than I could ever hope. You don't get the more love than you could ever hope until you admit you're more broken than you could ever imagine. 
But admitting your spiritual condition will feel like an oppressive affliction. But Jesus is saying, we're all diseased, we're all sheep gone astray, and admitting that is the only way to life. So let's go back to our friend with the log in the eye. What kind of person would see somebody else's speck and not even notice the log in the middle of their vision? It's somebody who thinks they can save themselves. If you think, if I'm good enough, if I get my life together, you have a massive problem and you don't even realize it. And when you see somebody not measuring up, not living right, not following God, you'll notice it. You'll notice their problem, but you haven't noticed your own. Or if you think, I just need to be free. I just need to follow my heart, live my truth, do what feels right. When you see somebody else who isn't doing that, right, who still lives for others' approval, who's controlled by what other people think of them, you'll notice it. If you're on a self-salvation project, you won't notice your own problem. And that's a big problem. So we've seen our need for wisdom. We've seen our problem. So finally, how do we get on the right path? How do we heal the sickness? Well, first, we need others. If you have a speck in your eye, we need brothers and sisters who can come alongside us and help us. And people who have struggled with the same thing are best equipped to help us. People who have found the log and pulled it out. So find people who have removed logs from their own eyes and let them work on you. Um, But let's also look at verse 6 again about dogs and pigs. So Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, dogs in the ancient world, they weren't man's best friend, the way we think of them. They were scavengers. So, um, they were considered greedy, unscrupulous, dirty animals. So, don't think about, you know, fluffy or whatever. Um, So, dogs would have meant greedy leaders who take advantage of others. And pigs were unrepentant hypocrites living filthy lives. So Jesus says, don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample you. So what's he talking about? There's a lot of things. But one thing, he's just finished talking about taking a speck out of your brother's eye. Okay? So in the context of this passage... That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the gracious, merciful act of helping a brother or sister in need, approaching them after you've dealt with yourself, not to condemn them, but to help them. Okay? He compares that to holy. He compares that to a pearl. He's saying this is a holy, precious thing. So we should cherish... When the church comes alongside us to help us. Right? And as a church, we should do this well because we recognize that this is holy and immensely valuable. But some people will not receive your holy and gracious gift as something beautiful and treasured. All right? Dogs and pigs. So you must discern, will this person accept this gift as as a treasure or will they turn on me? Okay? 
Jesus is saying, be wise. Godly encouragement is an incredible gift and treasure in the church, but not everybody wants it. So be wise in how you give rebuke and criticism and to whom. But second, how do you respond to godly rebuke and criticism? Right? If somebody comes alongside and says, hey, let me tell you what I see. Are you unrepentant? Right? Do you persist in your sin and say, you know what? Nobody has the right. Or, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says on this. Or, you know, if somebody's vulnerable with us and says, hey, I struggled with that too. Let me help you. Do we use that against them? Do we use people's past and beat them with it? So, don't be a dog or a pig yourself. Okay? So, first, we need each other. But second, Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. We need God's gift. You need wisdom, so ask for it. Okay? Now, again, that might sound straightforward. But then, Jesus explains to us why we can expect God to answer. Right? So, he compares God to an earthly parent, and he says, look... Even earthly parents who are evil, by the way, did you catch that? Right? He just like nonchalantly assumes, you, by the way, you evil parents, um, even earthly parents give good gifts. Right? He says, if your kid asks for bread, you don't give him a rock. If they need fish, you don't give him a serpent. How much more can you expect from God? Now, why would Jesus feel the need to explain this here? He knows we don't trust God to give us what we need. Right? Because the default mode of the human heart is, I can't count on God to give it me to me. I need to earn it from him. I need to make him owe me. We don't believe God gives us good gifts. And Jesus says, you should expect him to give you good gifts. Now, the version in Luke's gospel explains that the good gift is the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying here is you need the supernatural indwelling power of the very person of God to live wisely. Anything less is not enough. Okay, because you need to be healed to bear good fruit. Right. Apart from God, we are diseased trees bearing bad fruit and we're going to lack wisdom. We're going to lack discernment. Dead, diseased trees can't heal themselves. And the Holy Spirit brings you new life when you were dead so that you bear the fruit of the Spirit. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to shine a light on Christ's work for you so that you can choose the narrow gate. You don't choose and then God gives you life. God gives you life so that you can choose. Right? And so then you can finally see you can't save yourself, but He's done it all. You can stop trying to save yourself. You can turn to Him. Go through that narrow gate. And God gives us the Holy Spirit because he already gave us his son. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Probably the most quoted Bible verse in all of NFL. Um, Well, you know, listen to what comes next. So he says, God loved you, gave his son, He said, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, right? Or some translations say to condemn the world. Same word, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus can heal us because when we deserve judgment, he took God's judgment on himself. He's the only one who ever lived without a speck in his eye. He has every right to judge and condemn us. But instead of giving us the judgment we deserve, he took the condemnation on himself. Apart from Christ, we're already condemned. But in Christ, you will never be condemned. Right? You can enter into life because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and chose a way that, frankly, was more than just hard and narrow. Right? He could have stayed in heaven, but he chose the way of persecution, oppression, affliction. Right? I mean, he was nailed to the cross for you. Right? I mean, how's that for a constricting way? But the cross was Jesus' gateway into glory. Right? On the other side of the cross was Jesus' resurrection, indestructible life. And if you follow Jesus where he went for you, if you go through that narrow gate, if you're willing to admit that apart from him, you're already condemned, apart from him, you're spiritually dead, then you will receive resurrection life too. It's the same way for you. The way of eternal life is through the crucifixion. If you're not a Christian, admitting that you are hopeless without Jesus is going to feel like a death for you. And if you are a Christian, continuing every day to admit that apart from Christ, you have nothing that makes you worthy, that you have nothing that earns God's favor, that without the continued work of his Holy Spirit, you would be a diseased tree bearing fruit of death. Admitting that every day will also feel like a death. So whether you're a Christian who needs God to continue to guide you or you're seeking Jesus for the first time, but you don't think you have the strength to admit your need. Either way, the answer is the same. Ask, seek and knock. God so loved you that he gave his only son to save you. How much more will he delight to give you his Holy Spirit to guide you and to give you strength? So, ask, seek, and knock today. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you have already done everything to save us. You didn't wait for us to know that we needed to be saved. You came. You lived the perfect life that we should live. You died the death that we deserve so that we can have the everlasting, indestructible, eternal blessings that are rightly yours, that you freely give to us. Jesus, open our hearts to know that apart from you we are desperately sick, but you are the Lord, our healer. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit for our good, for your glory, that we would be full of joy, inexpressible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, just, a quick, just a quick little announcement before we end.